this over here. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. It was great in the fellowship listening to everybody ask and explain, hey, this is what we did. We had such a great time. And I, I, I wouldn't be a, a Michigander if I didn't say, go blue. That was amazing yesterday. <laughs> Underdogs, but they pulled it out. Uh, and that was a really great game. Uh, hey, we are going to finish this series today. This is part 12. <laughs> Did we just get started? Um, part 12. <laughs> it feels like 12 months of the series. We are jumping into the very, very last uh, few verses of Ephesians. And this is, the title of this lesson is Mystery Revealed. And so if you got your Bible, open up to Ephesians 6. We are going to... Read just the last, you know, little bit here, the last couple sentences, basically. And then, um, like I always say, there's a lot here, surprisingly. You might think it's just a little, just like the closing. Like Paul's closings are pretty simple, right? There's actually a lot we're going to dig into. My, 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 my bet is that by the end of this, you'll be like, man, he could have talked more about that. And, and maybe that's what I need, and that's good. And I would say, uh, dig into that more and have a conversation with someone about that thing. And so let's read just the end of Ephesians. This is right after the full armor of God. That's what we did last week. This is how he ends it. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and petitions. There we go. Prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert And always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given uh, given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Now this is just the very, very end. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you may know how I am and what I'm doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know we uh, know how we are, and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. And it's funny, just a side note, as we're getting into this, he writes a long letter. Some, we call it a book, the book of Ephesians. It's a letter. And then at the end, he's like, oh, hey, and I'm sending this guy. He'll tell you everything else. He'll tell you how we're doing and everything. And so it, it really shows that in the first century, the, the, the epistles, these letters, were not just letters. I mean, these, this, these were meant for teaching and for training, correcting, all these things. Like, and so, but then I love that he's like, hey, and then if you have any questions about how we're doing, you can ask this guy. But we're going to jump into this. He starts this section with this, this plea, pray for me. Keep praying, pray, pray, and pray, and pray, and pray. And the way he, he says it five times in like three sentences. Pray in the Spirit with all kinds of prayers and requests. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. 
and pray for me. And then if I didn't make this abundantly clear, pray that I can do this thing. And we're going to talk about that. And if I can be just super cynical, maybe you're all way more pure-hearted than I am, but there are times where my prayer life has been less than good, there's times where it's been bad, times where it's been horrible, and I ask the question like, well, why? Why do I need to pray? And why do I need to be told to pray over and over and over and over again? And maybe you've asked that of yourself. Like, really? Like, God knows everything. Jesus actually says God knows everything before we ask it. So why do I need to pray? Well, I got two little sub points for you. The first is that there are lessons that you will only learn through prayer. And then the second one is just a question. Do you want a real relationship with God? And I mean a real relationship with God. The first one, there are lessons, I truly believe this, there are lessons that you can only learn through prayer. What do you mean by that, Ben? Because we think there are lessons that we can, we, all our lessons in life we'll learn academically. Like, I don't know something, you explain it to me, now I know it. I need to learn something, I watch a YouTube video, it shows me how to do it, I do it, I'm, I'm done. And then we see things like this. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Now, I can tell you academically about how loving God is, and I can tell you academically how loving you should be if you're a follower of Jesus, but there's no way for me to explain the lessons that you will learn when you start praying for people that are mean to you. When you start talking to God and asking Him to work in your heart and in the hearts of other people, when, even though there's like strife. Loving your enemies is not something you can, you can just like watch a YouTube video about. Unless you really start praying, God, this person that treats me like garbage, bless their lives. And so that's point num- sub-point number one. Why, why do you need to pray? I believe this. And there are more. We just don't have time to dig into this. But there are lessons that you can only learn by, through prayer. Here's the other thing. There are three prayers of Jesus in the Bible that demonstrate that he had a real relationship with God. A real one. Not a, like, I go to church and so I'm a Christian relationship. But like, God is real to me. We have a real relationship. And we interact like real people do. And so when I say, do you want a real relationship with God? It really just comes down to, do you talk to him? Because it's easy to say, oh, I love God, God loves me, and we're tight. But if you talked to any other human being, the way and amount that you talk to God, they would probably not consider you a friend of theirs. 
And we just have to like own up to that and be like, man, I don't talk to God like he's here. And I don't talk to God like he's real. And I don't talk to God like he's still with me after I'm done talking to him. And so I love these three prayers. I would encourage you to read these prayers. We did a whole series on the Lord's sermon. Or the Lord's, a whole sermon series on the Lord's prayer. Uh, I would highly encourage you. If you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it. It's called, Here as in Heaven. But we can turn that prayer, which Jesus felt very intimately and very deeply from his gut. This is how he's like, hey, if I could give you one piece of advice on how to pray, this is it. And he says that, and then we turn it into, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven, blah, blah, blah. And so, and so prayer needs to be a real component of a real relationship with a real person. At the Last Supper, read John 17. That prayer is amazing. That's where he prays for you. If you didn't know that Jesus prayed for you, he did in John 17. And it's just a good, like, heart-level prayer. And then obviously, when he prays in the garden, he's real with God about how he's feeling. That's where he says, like, I don't want to do this. If there's any way we could accomplish this without doing this, please let's do that. God's like, no. He's like, not my will, but yours. And, and I love this. And so our first point is just prayer. We've got to pray. Maybe your prayer life isn't, hasn't been that great. Talk about it. Focus. Double down on it. Because here's my, here's, it's not a question. It's just a statement. You, you can't claim to love someone and refuse to communicate with them. And I just have to connect it to a human relationship. If I talk to, to Jen the way I talk to God, would we still be married? If I talk to my boys the way I talk to God, will they need therapy in the future because I was a neglectful father? And yet I claim, and and so I claim to love my wife, I claim to love my children, and you could probably hold me accountable to the way I communicate with them. And yet I'm saying the same thing is true with our relationship with God. We want to over-spiritualize it. We want to say, yeah, I love God. I say thank you before I eat something. I asked him to bless my McDonald's, so that's my awesome prayer life. <laughs> so that's where we're going to start. And like I said, that's, like in, in three sentences, Paul mentions prayer five times, and it's just right at the end of this, of this whole book. But I would, be, I would not be doing my job if I didn't say, we've got to pray. All right, here we go. This is going to be the most intense. I want to talk about the paradoxical gospel. The paradoxical gospel. And I think if you have heard me speak for the last few years, you, most of this is not going to sound like brand new. Most of this is going to sound pretty familiar. But this is what he says. And this is why, kind of why we wanted to call this series Mystery and end on this. Because he says... Pray for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. And so it just begs the question, what is the mystery of the gospel? Because if you're like a lot of West Michigan people, the gospel is not very mysterious. It's that Jesus died for your sins so you could go to heaven when you die. And that's great. That's true. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to 
proclaim to you that that is not the gospel. It's great, and that's awesome. But there's nothing mysterious about that, and it wasn't even really super mysterious back then. But then why does Paul say, man, please help me reveal the mystery of the gospel? Well, I like to talk about it in terms of paradoxes, and the Bible is full of them. If you've never seen this list, this is a list of paradoxes in the Bible, okay? And it's, it, I mean, we're not going to go through this. But like, Jesus says, my yoke is easy, but he also says, man, life as a Christian is going to be really hard. And even in Proverbs, it says, uh, like, where is it? Now I can't even find it. Yeah, answer a fool, don't answer a fool. We talked about that when we did the Proverbs, the Proverbs uh, sermon. Jesus says, and when he's announced in the Old Testament and the New Testament, Prince of Peace, he will be named Prince of Peace. Then he comes and he's like, don't assume I've come to bring peace. <laughs> That's kind of a hardcore. There's paradoxes in the Bible. Both of these statements are true and yet seemingly contradictory. That's what a paradox is. So you might be like, and so and some of these, if you're like, uh, you know, super, you know, academic, you might think, well, that just proves that they're not true, and the Bible's false, and God isn't real. And my rebuttal would be like, no, it just means we have to, we've been given this thing to wrestle with in life, and we can do that. And so I want to add four more paradoxes. But this is, if you were to say, hey Ben, what's the, what is the gospel message? This is it, okay. This is the gospel. Number one, God is in control, and yet he shares that authority with you. God is fully in control. This goes back to Isaiah, the, the basar, the euangelion is God, your God reigns. That was the announcement that Isaiah was bringing. They thought God was asleep, and God's like, no, he's in charge of everything. And yet, because God is who God is, he says, Hey, I'm fully in control. I can do whatever I want. I'm in charge, but you can do whatever you want. You don't have to obey me. And that is literally the intro. It's part of who God is, and yet it's why we have sin in the world. It's a paradox. Paradox number two of the gospel. Freedom is only found in surrender. True, absolute freedom is only found when you give up every ounce of your freedom and become a slave to Jesus Christ. That doesn't make any sense. And you know, we love our freedom. And yet I'm here to tell you, if you hold on to your freedom, you, will not actually, you could actually be a slave to your sin. When you want to be your own master, then you're a slave. When you want to be a slave, then you get the most beneficial master you could ever get. A master that will be a brother and a friend. It's a paradox. Paradox three of the gospel. Jesus was the messenger. He was also the sacrifice, and now he is the king. This was paradoxical even back in the first century. And he even told parables where he talks about the, 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 the owner of the vineyard sends his son to help the tenants understand some things, and they kill him. And that's, he's talking about himself there. So he's the messenger proclaiming the king, while he's also the king, but in between the time, he's got to die and be the sacrifice. And it's a paradox. We're like, hey, just be a king, or just be a messenger, or just be the sacrifice, but we have to wrap our mind around the supremacy of Christ in this area. It's awesome. 
And then lastly, and this is kind of what you get, Paul's also getting at in Ephesians, is that the, this final kingdom, the kingdom of God, it ends all conquest amongst nations the way it's been done. This is not going to grow the way other nations grow. Our borders are immediately and going to include the entire world. This final kingdom is not going to be like any other nation. And we're going to bring every single person together, not through force and not through coercion or control, but by loving them. It's a, it's a paradox. And yet, if you ask me, like, Ben, what's the gospel? I'm like, this is the gospel. This is the message that was being brought. This is the good news. And it, and it all starts with God is running everything. God is running everything. And he's going to do things in ways that you could never even imagine. If you had to create a way to be the king of the universe, it would not look like this. You would, you would just wreck it all. I would wreck it all. And yet, so often, this is not the gospel. We want the gospel of how do I get rid of my sin and how do I get to heaven? And that is what I call selfish salvation. Where it's like, what's the least amount of work that I have to do so that my sins are forgiven so that when I die, I get to go to heaven? And someone comes along and says, just pray this prayer or believe in Jesus and you're like, done, good, bye. Then we go on and we ignore all of this. And it drives me crazy that we, as Christianity, have done this. And it hasn't helped anyone. And so I, I just have one question. I mean, it's kind of like, do, do you believe this? And is this, is this your gospel? Or have I, have I only accepted the gospel of selfish salvation? What did I sign up for? Did I sign up for God is in charge of everything and I'm in the kingdom? Or did I sign up for what do I have to do to go to heaven? And we'll keep talking about it and we'll talk more about it. But I think maybe some of us grew up only hearing the gospel of selfish salvation. Maybe some of us were like, this is the only thing that was ever taught to me. Believe in Jesus so I don't go to hell. And I, I just want to say, I'm sorry. I wish we, we didn't do that to the actual gospel message. And so, the, the paradoxical gospel is just that. There is a freedom that you could never engineer for yourself. If, if we had to come up with our own idea of like liberate, liberty and freedom and, and all this stuff, we would build a government and we would, you know, set up a constitution. And those are good, but it, would, it all falls short. It all falls short of what God has done through Jesus. And so, that brings me to the last point which is the mystery revealed. And this is what Paul is praying for. He's asking for our, the Ephesians prayers. 
He's saying, pray that I can do this work. Here's what he says. Halfway through there. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And so what Paul is asking for is not pray that I know the gospel, pray that I, you know, that I'm saved. He said, pray that I can tell other people about this. And I think we need to, we need to ask ourselves the same question. Can I ask people to pray for me that I could tell people about how awesome Jesus is? If Paul is asking for our prayers to declare something fearlessly, it's almost like, it's almost like there's this implication that Paul was afraid. And I think it's important for us to accept that there is some fear when it comes to proclaiming the gospel. Some of us feel like that makes us feel bad, like we're bad Christians if there's any fear in proclaiming the gospel. And so we're like, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm just busy, I'm not afraid. And I would say, you need to do a lot more self-reflection and just be honest with yourself and be like, I'm, you're afraid. I'm afraid. There, there's fear there. But as long as it goes unspoken, it has way more power over us than if we just say, like, yeah, whenever I go and I want to invite someone to church or tell someone about something awesome that Jesus is doing in my life, my stomach gets all crazy and I'm like, no, they're going to hate me. Or, I won't be able to show my face in the gym ever again or whatever. Now let's go back to a time when people were actually afraid under threat of force because you could be beaten for saying the name of Jesus. We see this uh, in Acts. Acts 4, starting in verse 16. What are we going to do with these men? This is the Sanhedrin. They ask, Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign. And we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name, the name of Jesus. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. I love this. That last sentence there, Acts 4.20, is like, I want it to be like our theme scripture. And we're going we're gonna to dig into it. But that first sentence is awesome. Which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judge. And this is where Peter and John are just like, Hey, so Jesus told us to tell everyone about him, and you're telling us not to tell everyone about him. Who do you think we're going to listen to? Who do you think we're going to obey? And it was implied 
kind of a rhetorical question. We're going to keep talking about Jesus. And we can read that and we can kind of feel like, ooh, they're like putting those guys in their place. Like, a little bit of, a little bit of smack, smack down. But here's, here's what I'm going to challenge us with. Have you had that conversation with yourself? Because the reality is, guys, at least as long as you stay in America in the year 2022 and on, like, no one's ever going to no one's ever going to say this to you. No one's ever going to come up to you and, you know, and say, I heard you have been talking about Jesus. If you don't, we're going to throw you in prison. It's, pro- it's, never, it's never really going to happen. But you know what is going to happen? Every day, you're going to tell yourself not to talk about Jesus. And so as you wait... And maybe you're like, someday, someday the government will clamp down on Christians and outlaw Christianity, and then, like, I'll proclaim Jesus. It's like, in the meantime, you talk yourself out of talking about Jesus every day while you're waiting for some big thing that's probably never going to happen. And so while no one is probably ever going to force you to be quiet under threat of force. There is no greater force than the fear that is in our own hearts to keep us silent. There's a voice that that you need to have this conversation with inside your own head. And you need to say, who am I going to listen to? You? And you're talking to yourself. (laughs) Who am I going to listen to? You? Or am I going to listen to God? All right. And then it goes on to this. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And you know, like our little church logo thing that I made with the cross and the speech bubble. It's this. It's it's from this verse. It was this verse that I was, that I wanted to like emulate. A speech bubble and a cross. Why? Because there's three parts to this. We're going to start at the bottom. The first part of this is just a testimony. Something that was seen and heard, experienced. It's real. It was, it was, it was a, an actual experience that I lived through, and I am going to carry it with me till the day I die. Now, for them, it was, I saw Jesus die, and then I saw him alive again. And they're like, we can't help, we can't keep, from, we can't, we can't not say that. And so the idea of this testimony, like, what's the thing? What's the, what's the historical thing? Not ideological thing. What's the thing that actually happened in your life that is awesome and, and attributed to Jesus? For me, and I think a good thing for most of us, would be a transformation. A story of transformation. A transformed life is one of the most powerful tools God has given us for preaching the gospel. Because I believe, like, you can transform a little for a little time, but to transform an entire life for the rest of that person's life is a miracle. And so when people ask me, I love telling them about how bad I was before Jesus. And when we tell stories, Jen and I tell stories about this is who we used to be in our relationship, people are like, 
that does not sound like you. And I'm like, exactly. You get it. That doesn't sound like us because that was the old us. So there is a testimony and then there is an action. And it was, for, in this case, it was speaking. It was telling people about the testimony. That's still a totally valid, good, helpful action to use your mouth and say, this is what happened to me. You can also, if you're looking for suggestions for an action, you can also go back to what we talked about and love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. But when you, when, you get a, when you get a group of people who do this and they talk about what they've been through, it forms an identity. And this is, they, they instantly became recognized as a group, a group of people. Not all of them walked around with Jesus, but they immediately, anybody that was in the fringes, they were instantly a part of this group. And what Peter and John are proclaiming here is that this is what's going to be part of our identity. If you want to get to know me, you've got to know that this is what we're going to do. We're going to speak about the things that we've seen and heard. And we could talk about, I'm not, I'm not here to guilt you into an evangelism campaign or anything like that. I'm just asking, like, do you believe in your heart of hearts? Do you believe that the gospel message is worth telling anybody? Here's another way I word it. Do I live like I have the answers for life's biggest problems? Not you, not, you're not, a, not your self-help book or your podcast. You don't have the answers because they're your answers. You have the answers because you live in those answers and you want to share them with other people. Do I live like I have the answers for life's biggest problem? I did a bunch of research that I'm not going to share it was basically like rates of depression, anxiety, and addiction across believers and non-believers. And there's a lot of research out there. There's a lot of science behind this. And the good news is, guys, that in almost every country in the world, in every culture in the world, people who are, people who are religious have lower rates of depression, anxiety, addiction, all of this stuff, divorce, all of these things. Lower rates than non-believers, which should be like, yay, good, good for us. Come on. Here's, here's, the, here's the bummer, and I don't want to hammer this home too much. Uh, it's not a huge margin. It's a, signif- it's a statistically significant margin, but it's not an amazing margin. And here's what's even crazier. I looked it up by country, and there are countries uh, that are drastically better and worse than other countries. In this. Does that make sense? Depression, anxiety, divorce, addiction, rates. And so what blows my mind is, if you're a Christian, if you're a, if you're a non-Christian in America, and you want to battle all these things, I, as a preacher, I could come and be like, Jesus 
Jesus. Because I can show you the data that shows if you're a believer, those things go down. The reality is the Christians in America still have way more than the non-believers in some other countries. So should I tell you to become a Christian or should I tell you to move to Colombia? Because Colombian non-Christians have way less depression and anxiety than American Christians. But then I'm like, well, where's the actual power? Do I believe that the power is in Jesus or do I believe that the power is in culture? And I'm ashamed to think, man, some of these numbers show that the power is not in Jesus but in culture. And I want to live like I believe that the power is in Jesus. And so we started this whole thing by asking these two questions. Who am I? And what is my path forward in life? What's my identity? And then what's my lifestyle? Like, how should I live? And what's awesome is that Paul spends this whole book, this whole letter, trying to answer those two questions. In the first part, the whole first three chapters, saying, this is who you are. If you don't believe me, let me reinforce it. You're a son of God. You're a child of God. You're awesome. God loves you. Here's your identity in Christ. And then he switches gears in the middle and he's like, and now this is how you have to live. And you need to live in a way that is pleasing to God. And then he ends with what we just read. Telling them that he's going to keep declaring. Paul is revealing the mystery to others. And I want us to appreciate the power that we have when we declare the mystery. That paradoxical gospel. that It's like, I can't even explain why it's true, but I can show you that when I live this, it works, and I can bet that if you live it, it works too. Have you ever been to an escape room? <laughs> One last little thing. Have you ever been to an escape room? We made an escape room for the Wilsons and the, the Michigan staff at the thing. We loved it. It was awesome. But it was an interesting insight because we dropped these like eight people in the middle of this chaotic room and they knew nothing. And man, they just started like tearing it apart. And we're like, stop, you're going to destroy the whole room. But then we knew the answers. And there's times where if you've ever done an escape room where you walk in and you're just like, this is crazy. Like sensory overload and nothing makes sense. But then things start to click and fall into place. And while we were kind of like, we made this escape room and we're watching these people that know nothing and they don't know how to do anything. But we know the plan. We're like, man, if they just like put that together with that, like it would all click and everything would go well. And that's exactly what it's like embracing the gospel in this crazy life. Is that you can know, like, hey, it, it's, it's not that complicated. There's just a lot of noise. You've got to sift through. And if you just do this and this and this, it's actually pretty easy. But the people that are going crazy, running around, they need you. And that's what it's like when you get it. And so we're going to take communion. And here's what I can say. I became a Christian 22 and a half years ago. And life has been awesome. Life in the kingdom is amazing. 
And it's not because it's the easiest life. There have been a lot of ups and downs. But I wouldn't trade it for anything. When I step back and I see these two things, who I am in Christ, and I decide to live in a way that pleases God, uh, my life has only gotten better and better and better. And not in a weird prosperity way. Because you could probably make the case that I'd be a lot, I might be poorer, <laughs> or I might be richer if I had not become a Christian. But my, my question for us is, are you struggling with your decision to surrender fully to God's will for your life? I would strongly encourage you to come talk to someone. Talk to me. If you're fighting that. As we take communion, let's pray and talk to God about what's standing in your way. Maybe it's that paradox. You like things to make very clear sense. This doesn't make very clear sense. And so you're fighting. That's, you're, you're, that's a barrier. Maybe it's that I, I am. I, I'm just interested in what do I have to do to get to heaven? And that's, your, that's the thing that's standing in your way. And maybe there's fear. Like, I don't want to tell anyone about Jesus. And that fear is standing in our way. Whatever it is, I pray that we can marvel at the beauty of that is the mystery of the gospel. And let's be real honest with God as we go to communion. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the good news. Thank you that you are in control of everything, even when it seems like you give us way too many choices because we just keep messing them up. And maybe some of us have messed up some of those choices this week. God, I just pray that we can see that your son, who was his own messenger and is the sacrifice for our sins, is now also the king in charge. And I pray that we can draw near to him in that way. God, I just want to pray that we can be bold, that we can fight the fear in our hearts. And we can show other people that the gospel is an amazing, even though it's mysterious thing. Please help us declare fearlessly uh, just how awesome you are in our lives. We love you. We thank you so much for your son and his sacrifice. And we pray all this in his name. Amen.